and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 25. This week my guest is R.S. Penny. Rich writes modern western science fiction and endeavours to bend the genre. So have a listen to that interview section in a moment. But first at my desk. Over Christmas I didn't really get much done. We've had a lot of entertaining to do, lots of family staying and a couple of big parties for my husband's big birthday. And uh, I found, I think I spoke about it last week, that this room, my office, gets full of stuff and uh, I couldn't really concentrate on doing anything because it really was just too messy in here and I seemed to have a lot going on. However, once we got the decorations down and the room got cleared and the big tidy up, I kind of feel a bit more in the working mood. And this week I've been trying to take stock of what I want to do with this whole new year of 2023. What in fact do I want to achieve? I think it's very easy as a writer to just kind of bumble along and kind of do things as they kind of come up. And, uh, you know, and that's fine as well. And it's part of the creative process to just be creative when and where you feel like it. But also I think a little bit of structure does help to actually get the productivity flowing. So on my wall in the office here, I have a whiteboard, you know, one of those ones that you use with a pen and you can kind of write it off, wipe it off if you need to. And so I've been busy making a bit of a list and trying to sort of think about what exactly I want to do with my two author names. So you know me as DJ Bowman Smith, but I'm also this um, children's author, Tiger Molly. And one of the things that I needed to do was to get on social media for the children's author side of myself. And it's kind of a, you know, the children's author is always the the side of me that gets left doesn't get much done so I really want to try and split my time a bit more this year and bring the children's stuff a bit more to the fore. However I am on finishing energy for the book that I'm writing at the moment The Midwitch. I'm on about the last sort of 10-15,000 words and it's going really well and I'm hoping to sort of get that done in the next week or so I really do hope so and then begin to make a first pass and then a second pass before I send it to my editor. So, yeah, so that's me with that. So I'm busy with that and it's very much to the forefront of my mind. But I'm also trying to think really about having some time off the actual writing for adults and just to give myself a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months where I can just get on with some of the children's stuff. I mean, I've literally got books that are finished and illustrated and I just haven't had the time to actually publish them yet. And of course, that's the trouble with being an indie author. You have everything to do for yourself. And I do do everything for myself, except, of course, for the actual editing of the work. And I have that done professionally. But all the artwork and um, the formatting, the putting it together, the marketing and everything else, I do it. I do it myself. So it's a bit of a one man band thing. But having said that, well, you know, it's good to be able to do what you want when you want. But also at some point you do have to think about sorting out your time and deciding what exactly you do in fact want to achieve. So that's been me this this week. I've been having a look at what I want to do this week, this year, writing it down on the big whiteboard, making some notes in my diary and trying to think about how I'm going to use my time to the best advantage um, in order to create the most and get some books out there, not just the adult stuff. So happy days. Anyway, come and meet Rich. He's a lovely, lovely fellow. And I know you're just going to adore him like I did. This week, my guest is the writer Richard Penny. He's been writing since the tender age of 16. He writes modern Western science fiction and endeavours to bend the genre as much as possible. All the characters of the world walk through his stories. 
Pritchard is an extremely prolific and talented writer with more than one story to tell. How nice to meet you. Hey, uh, you can just call me Rich. Rich, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, it's it's lovely to it's lovely to talk to you, and uh, and I'm having a little look here on my computer. I'm actually working today in my office, and usually I I use a back bedroom because it's a bit quieter up there. But I've um, everybody's on pain of death not to make any noise, and uh, and I see you've got a lot of books in your stable here, Rich. How many have you written so far? Uh, let's see. So I just okay. I'll, I got I got to count. <laughs> uh, Sixteen in the Justice Keeper saga, three in the Death of Kincaid trilogy. Uh, the two crossovers, so 16 plus 3 plus 19 is 21, and I'm currently working on the 23rd. That's amazing. So you're, you're pretty productive. Let's, let's face it, that's amazing. That's, that's yeah. quite, a, quite a good. And are you traditionally published, Richard, or are you um, an indie author? I'm not entirely sure, to be perfectly honest oh, with you. Oh, um, you're a hybrid. You're a hybrid. So uh, my publisher is Next Chapter. So they do have like you when you submit to them, you have to go through like a review process and all of that. But I I didn't get to them via an agent. They had about now this is about seven seven and a half years ago. They had a um, sort of an open we're accepting manuscripts thing, and so I sent them my first novel, which was self published at the time. And uh, they loved it. And we just kind of went from there. And it's been a bit of a learning process, but I think we kind of got it like, you know, we kind of got it to the point where it's like a well-oiled machine by this point. Yeah, well, well-oiled machine sounds good. That's, that's pretty good. Because you've been writing for quite a few years if you've, if you've got that many books under your belt. About 10. I mean, yeah, actually, yeah about nine, actually. Because I kind of, well, okay, like, um, so been writing since high school, but pretty much everything before the age of 30 just sort of, you know, ended up in a wastebasket at some point because I just wasn't ready to publish it. And uh, so around uh, age 30, I kind of had some health issues and I kind of started writing to to cope with that. So that was about the, I want to say December of 2013. So just like just over nine years, actually. And then I finished uh, Symbiosis, the first Justice Keepers novel in May of 2014. And from there, and the first Dessa novel I did in the summer of 2018, and then published it in 2019. And, you know, here we are. Brilliant. So would you say you're quite you're quite driven as a writer? You know, oh, do, yeah. do you get up? Do you, are, you, are you at your desk? Do you treat, treat it like office hours? Or, you know, I'm I'm a bit woolly. I kind of waft about. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm I, I got I got autism and ADD. And one thing about being an ADD person is that it like generally speaking, we're night owl people. So I usually start like I'll have I'll have some lunch, and I usually do physiotherapy because I sit and carpal tunnel if I'm not careful. So I usually do a, uh, like half hour of physiotherapy when I get up in the morning and then I just do some reading and then I um, have some lunch. And then like from like 12, like I want to say 1 p.m. to like 4 p.m. Those are writing hours. I usually stop to do like, you know, I'll go for a run around the neighborhood. I'll go for a bike ride, you know, some sort of physical activity, eat some supper. And then again, from like, you know, 6.30 through Usually about 10, 10 30, that's more writing time. After that, I just kind of wind down. Yeah, that's, it sounds quite similar to me. I'm not a morning person. I can't no. write first thing. My, my head is not, you know, I need a lot of coffee. I need to, you know, 
walk my dog and do some exercise like yourself and, and do a few stretches and all that kind of thing. And I, I kind of, if I get a few words written in the first, in the last bit of the morning, I'd be quite happy, but I'll probably delete them after lunch, to be honest, because they're yeah. probably rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then I kind of get on with it, you know, as we move on. Yeah, but we're all different and it doesn't really matter because I think people tell you that you read a lot of bump about how to be a writer. And I think really it's just how you need to be a writer. And I think that's what's really important. Obviously, Absolutely. this is really working. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your stuff here on my other screen and it looks great. I like your covers. You know, you're, you're obviously super productive and, uh, you know, you're, you're really um, doing doing what you need to do. So you're, you're telling me um, we've had a few emails, Rich, haven't we? And you were saying that you are doing some crossover work between the two types yeah. of books that you're writing. Tell me about that. Okay, so I'll just kind of give you a, a brief of what the two series are, and then we'll talk about the crossover. Uh, so the Justice Keeper saga is, it's a sci-fi, and the basic premise of that is, it kind of came to me when I was 17, and I was walking through my high school, and I thought, what if aliens were here, but they, we never knew because they looked absolutely indistinguishable from people. Like, what if they look just like us? You'd be looking right at one and you'd never know. And that kind of gave me the idea of what if somehow there were humans on other planets and they got to develop space travel before we did. And so the basic premise here is that actual aliens, alien aliens, uh, like 10,000 years ago, around the time of the Neolithic revolution, they took a bunch of hu primitive humans and they scattered them all over the galaxy. And they're doing this as some sort of grand experiment. And I won't, I won't spoil what the experiment is about, but they're basically monitoring how these different civilizations develop. And then Earth is their control group from there. So that's, that was the whole space opera of the Justice Keeper saga. I love it. I'm all, I'm already there, Richard. I'm telling you, I believe it. I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So so the other thing is uh, the Dessa the Dessa books. Um, Dessa so books. that one that one started. Uh, so I was a Wheel of Time fan. Uh, I used to go to a site called Theoryland.com. It, it was they were like it sounds like a conspiracy theory site, but what it really is is what it really is is theories about Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. Cool. And yeah. one day I kind of started a tandem story, uh, like where we would all kind of contribute and Dessa was the main character and nobody else really did much with it. Uh, I mean, I had I, my, my editor and another friend of ours, we kind of like wrote our own chapters, but then, um, so she's my character. And so I kind of took that. I wanted to create an interesting magic system that was more uh, like this is more fantasy based. And uh, so I came up with the concept of field binding. And what field binding is, is you um, you have an inanimate object could be like a bullet, could be a, like a button on a shirt, could be just about anything that, you know, is metal, plastic, something that wasn't alive at some point. What you do is you infuse it with the ability to either release or drain a specific kind of energy. So a heat sink makes everything hotter. A he sorry, a heat sink makes everything colder. A heat source makes everything hotter. And then there's, you can do it. There's uh, heat, light, gravity, kinetic, 
and electric. So an electric short source like blasts things with lightning, whereas an electric sink, if you throw it into a room with a bunch of computers, they all turn off because it's like a power outage. Yeah, and, clever. Uh, and uh, so this one, I kind of made, wrote this into sort of like a society that's like at a, you know, mid-industrial level of technology. You know, they've got trains and they've got like, but not cars yet. And they've got, well, the field binders are slightly ahead. Like the, the city that has the field binding, they, they have cars, but everybody else doesn't yet. And um, so it's kind of like an old West level of technology. And this character who's just kind of going on an adventure, hunting a guy. And that became the first Dessa Kincaid book. And from there, so the crossover happened is basically I had like three, four requests for one. Like, I, I thought that was really weird because I, I didn't really think anybody would want that. Sorry, you look like you want to say something. Cause... No, no, I'm, I'm just thinking yeah, it's amazing what you get asked. And then and then suddenly the ideas come, don't they? And yeah. I think it's always good to keep an open mind about what you might write next. Yes. So what happened next? So so what happened was uh, I had like one was in an interview and one was in an email. And I think I got one on Twitter, too. Like this is this is over the course of about two or three years. I said, will you ever cross them over? And so one day last summer, because the Justice Keeper saga became it, it, the same thing that happens with a lot of like big book series where you get more and more characters and the books are getting longer and longer and longer. Like the first one, Symbiosis, the first one is about 100,000 words. And then uh, like we had one that we had to split in half because it was like 200,000 words. And like my publisher was like, are you trying to break my printing press? Like, and it was getting so long. And what I thought was, you know, I want to keep writing about these characters, but I want to give them their own unique series. So like Jack and Anna, they'll get a series. Melissa and Claire, they'll get a series. Instead of everybody just in one gigantic book where I have to, uh, you know, juggle like 24 plot threads and the reason why there is that i find that when you when you narrow the scope a bit you get to focus on individual characters more as opposed to having to give everybody their 15 minutes in the spotlight and then move on keep the plot progressing at the same time so that was really what was in my head and i kind of started thinking i had this cross somebody asked me about the crossover while i was thinking about can i split the justice keeper series into individual stories and I thought, well, can I come up with a mythology that where it makes sense, where these two things can coexist in the same sort of fictional space? The way I came up with that, it actually kind of like built a like built an escape hatch for myself without realizing it, because uh, in one of the Justice Keepers books, the aliens that scattered the humans all over the galaxy, we learned that they originated in another universe. And in the third Dessa book, and this was before I ha had ever thought about a crossover, we learned that her, her world is one of several worlds across multiple universes, and she glimpses into other worlds with humans on them, and one of them is Earth. So, uh, like, she sees Kennedy giving a speech, or rather hears part of the speech. So what I came up with uh, is this idea because there's this, there's, there's on, on Dessa's world, they were not native to that planet. They came from another universe. The big bad of that series chased them across dimensions. So there's a gateway. And I thought, well, here's, this, here's an easy thing. The, the crossover, like the crossover book is called The Ancient Gate. And it's the gate that the, brought Dessa's people to their planet, which is called Ezrin. 
she goes through that gate and comes to earth. And that's what the plot crossover is going to be about because the overseers, the people, bad guys from the justice keeper saga have found uh, her planet and now they want to exploit her people and she needs yeah. help. It's good. Cause I think you probably find that the readers from both series will come together with, within this, oh, question, I certainly which, hope I, so. which I think will be great. Yeah. Really clever stuff. Yeah. Um, what advice Rich, would you give, because obviously you're, you're an experienced writer here, what advice would you give for, for um, authors starting out that want to write, you know, a big long things like you're doing, you know, you're writing books in series and you're writing quite long books as well, you know, within each series and obviously you're doing the crossover thing now, you know, uh, you know, looking back, what would you say worked? What would you say, don't do this? Okay, so I can talk a bit about my process. Um and like there was a bit there was a learning curve but um one of the sort of like every time i get asked you know what what's your generic advice my generic advice is always there is no generic advice uh, you have to you have to sort of learn for what the project you're working on is yeah um so like you know if you come to me and you say uh i've got like my, my friend my one of my editors actually he's, he's working on something he, he was having an issue where um you know a bunch of his characters need to arrive at this particular city at the same time and he was like i, I can't figure it out I'm, I'm you know my book is dead i don't know what to do and i said dude what if you just do xyz dude that fixes everything oh my god so so like you know and that's that's <laughs> that that's i can help you with a specific problem but if you come to me and say you know what's your generic advice for a writer unfortunately there isn't one you have to besides just sit down open your computer and you Get know start typing yeah, and yeah. the one of the most profound and probably closest to a generic advice things i've ever heard uh was an author on twitter and i can't for the life of me i cannot remember who this was i know it was not a big name author or at least if it was it wasn't somebody i'd ever heard someone in the writing community said the most important lesson to learn is there is no way to skip the part where you suck at it <laughs> and yeah, that's, I think that's very true, for everything, true. Actually. that's very yeah. true yeah and so so like with my particular process what we were going to talk about so like I said I did the first one um and I did it like I was in like like the massive so I, I I didn't know I was living with undiagnosed autism my eyesight was failing uh, I was super stressed about all of these things, you know, battling my way out of a depression, which thankfully I'm out of now. What happened was, is I like writing became sort of therapy for me. It's like, I'm going to, you know, I, I kind of kept putting it off throughout my twenties. I was kind of like, you know, um, I want to do this, this big project, but I, I never quite got started because I never really felt like I felt like I had to be at the part where I didn't suck at it before I was allowed to start it. And that's yeah, kind I think of a, a lot catch. of us. Are, yeah, I think a lot. A lot of people are too afraid to begin. You know, mm -hmm. or they wait for the muse. And I always say, no, don't don't wait until you feel like it. You make yourself sit down at a certain time, whatever time that is. You know, um, and and get on with it basically because that's the only the only way to do it. And the, and just delete as you go, and then write it again until you like it more. You know, and eventually. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut in there. No, no. Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. Right. And the other thing I was going to say is that the muse is a fickle mistress. So you, you don't <laughs> want to rely too much on her. Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening with me 
is, uh, so I wrote the first book and then we did a Kickstarter because I wanted to hire an editor. Like I have, I have an editor that I've worked with sort of like, and she's, she went on to become a copy editor for several newspapers. We've been friends ever since we were like, you know, I was just out of a teenager. Like I was like 20 and she was like 16 or something. Um, but like, uh, but you know, we've been friends all this time. So close to like 20 years now, we work together on all that stuff. Um, but I also wanted like a second editor to go through it. So that was, that was for the first book, but I had to raise $2,000 to hire that editor. Um, so like, you know, it kind of became a case of, well, what do we do when I want to do the next one? So I sent the first book of the justice keeper saga to, uh, my publisher, um, Mika, And I said, you know, like this one had been like, you know, gotten the full royal treatment of like, I paid like the 2000 bucks for the editor to go through it. Second one, uh, my, my sort of my personal editor, the one I've known for since forever, she went through it once. And then, uh, you know, I said, okay, well, I've got the manuscript here. Uh, what do you want me to do with it? Do I have to do like some kind of editing? Do you want me to do X, Y, Z? And they said, well, just send it to us and we'll kind of work it out as we go. And I said, okay, so I sent it to them. And this book, the second book in the Justice Keeper saga is kind of the bane of my existence because I ha- I knew nothing about the publishing process. I just sent it to them because that's what they told me to do. And sure enough, this is the one that probably had, like, I think most of them are gone now, you know, hope and pray, but uh, this is the one that had like the most, uh, the most errors in it because, uh, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. So at that, I was like, okay, well then what I'm going to do from this point onward is I'm going to do a full read through and try to catch everything. And then by the time, like we're on like the fourth book, I think that's when like, if you've heard of that Grammarly software. Yeah. I, I use both. I'm dyslexic. I, I use yeah, Grammarly yeah. And, and pro writing aid. Cause I find what one misses, the other one picks up. So I generally write with pro writing aid on. And then when I, and then when I can make a first pass and go over the mistakes that that's thrown up, and then I go again with the Grammarly because you know, I write things backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's lots of fun. So, <laughs> Drive <yeah>. you crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's kind of like that, right? So what I started doing is um, I kind of refined the process. So uh, I would put the entire manuscript through Grammarly chapter by chapter. Then it would go to Jory, my, my editor. Then it comes back to me. Then it would go to Greg, my other editor. Then it comes back to me. Then it goes to the publisher who does yet. Oh, sorry. And I'm, I'm, I'm even skipping a step here. Ugh, God, it's, it's, it's become, like I said, it's become this well-oiled machine. So uh, first I put it through Grammarly and then I kind of figured out at first I used to do this when I finished the book. And now I've reached the point where I was like, no, every time I finish a chapter, because I don't want to spend three days clicking, 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 click. Every time I finish a chapter, it goes through Grammarly. Then that gets set aside and I go on to the next chapter. Uh, once all the chapters are done, I assemble them into a single uh, document. And from there, I do a full read through. And this is where I do a lot of my sort of spot edits, you know, oh, I don't like that phrase. No, I didn't, you know, that one, that didn't quite work out. Oh, this scene needs to be touched up here, here, and here. That process usually takes about, depending on the size of the book, it can be about a week to two weeks to get it done. Once that's done, because I'm a perfectionist, I will never be at a point where I am 
satisfied with the final result. Like there's always, it's always, there's always going to be this nagging fear of, oh, it's not good enough. It's not, you know, not, no matter what I do. And I used to do like a dozen rewrites of things. And Jory would be like, no, I'm not reading a slightly different version of the same book you've written like six times now. We're not doing that anymore. So eventually I said, okay, after I've done like, so uh, draft number one, draft number two, that's it. What, you know, if I'm unsatisfied with it, then Greg and Jory can like, if there's, if there's lingering problems, they'll, they can point them out to me. So from there, uh, they get it. Then uh, we go through, um, Jory does mostly like story edits. Greg does a lot of copy editing, but although Jory does copy editing too, because she used to have that as a job. Then after all of that, the manuscript is ready to go. And then it goes to the publisher who does another round of editing. From there, it's uh, cover design, layout design, publication. Once, Once you get past that, like it's sort of out of my hands. Um, you know, there, there, there are ways to like, you know, on the off chance that you find like, like some reader finds a typo, you can actually send in like, you know, like I have like a little form that please fix this sentence in this book here. But beyond that, it's like, okay, well, we've done by this point, we've done once with Grammarly, once with me, once with Greg, once with Jory and once with the publisher, that's like five rounds of editing at that point. Maybe there's still something left because I have very poor motor skills and it's very likely that I'll, you know, not push down a key hard enough and maybe someone doesn't see it. You know, we've been through five rounds of editing. Maybe there's still an issue from a few issues here and there, but you can't say we didn't do our due diligence. No, I think you know? I think I think it's a really good process that you've gotten. And also I've, I've read books by famous traditionally published authors that are making a bomb and found you know really rubbish typos in there you know and i'm dyslexic i don't even notice stuff like that and if i've noticed it it must be pretty awful (laughs) so one of the ones so i think i think you've just got to do your best i think that's good advice for any any author is is do your best and then at some point you've got to go i'm going to publish and be damned really and, and just get just get on with it move on to the next project how many books rich do you write a year um let's see so um the most on recent average. one the boat and i'm kind of proud of this so one of the things like i said i took this huge series with all these different characters and i split them into standalones and uh we can talk about what some of those standalone ideas are um but uh so the most recent one i did is called jack and anna back to winnipeg uh came out to be eighty thousand words like pretty much spot on, like 80,000 and some change. So like I said, I'm trying to keep them shorter now. Like I aimed for 60,000 and we got 80,000. So took it. I started it October the 15th and I finished it. And I, when I say finished, I mean finished my portion of the editing. Right now it's it's moved on for me, uh, December 7th. So, uh, so now I believe it's gone through Greg's edit and now it has to go through Jory's edit. Jory is actually editing somebody else's book right now. I've told her, uh, to go do, she basically like, she has another client and I'm like, no, 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 you did like three of mine go, you know, don't neglect him because we're still publishing back to Winnipeg is the very first book after the big crossover event. We're probably going to like, since the crossover is just being published now, like I think they're coming out uh, later this month. Like I'm not going to worry about publishing back to Winnipeg until about uh, say March. 
ish. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, so that took about two months. I'm trying to keep that, like, I'm trying to get to a point where we're like putting out like, you know, six, maybe seven a year. Um, and these are standalones. So they're not huge series. Like there will be multiple, like there, there'll be multiple Jack and Anna books. And while the, you know, one, each one does follow a different, the first Jack and Anna book is called Back to Winnipeg. The second one is called uh, The Price of Fear. And while The Price of Fear does take place after Back to Winnipeg, you don't really have to have read the first one to enjoy the mm. second one. If you want to follow their their adventures all the way through, you're more than welcome to do that. But they're not they're not like direct, you know, they're, they're standalones. They're not they're yeah. not like like a series like I was doing before where one book kind of leads directly into the next. There's going to be multiple different standalones. So there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a new Dessa book. There's going to be uh, a series called the new, well, not a series, but like a, 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 uh, a team up called the new Kaadri. And that's the one I'm working on now. That's a, that's a new standalone. And then the second one from them is going to be called the new Kaadri alive and tricking. Mm, and so, sounds yeah, good. I've got sounds a lot. Good. Yeah. Have you got any tips for keeping track of a very long series of work? Do you, do you, do you keep files with, you know, uh, he, you know, files of characters and what they like and what colour their eyes are and, and, you know, like factual things on, on all your things. You just hold it all in your head, Rich. For the most part, it's in my head. Now, one of the it, things... I thought you were going to say that. I thought, yeah, I thought this, you're so on it. I just thought you're just going to go this one in my head. I'm, I'm the other way. I have files of everything. I mm. keep track of every place, name, every little thing, and I just keep it all in alphabetical order. And, I, you know, I look up, you know, if I decide they don't like tomatoes, I'll write it down somewhere, you know. Oh. Otherwise, I just, you know, it worries me that I'm going to say they had, um, they like the colour blue and then, then decide they like the color yellow that would really bother me as a reader and it would bother it bothers me as an author so i, I really mm. keep track of it and poss- possibly my memory's not as good as yours <laughs> the crossover kind of brings the dessa stories and the justice keeper stories into a shared universe and because you have all these different elements i ended up writing appendices so this like i want these books to be accessible to people who have never, like, you don't have to read the entire Justice Keepers saga. You don't have to, to, to understand what's going on. I'm trying to make them as accessible as possible where everything you need to know is sort of spelled out in the narrative. But just in case somebody had sort of follow-up questions or needed extra clarification, I wrote appendices on, there's five of them. There's one on the different planets and the different aliens. There's one on how field binding works. There's one on the justice keeper's powers. There's one on telepathy and there's one on different types of futuristic technology. And I stick them in the back of the books and I update them slightly for each one so that they're current, but they're for the most part, they're the same. And all of the standalones are going to have these appendices. I, I try to have like a bit of a sense of humor about it because I realize that this is like a huge project. So when we did uh, the ancient gate, so this is the author note from the first of the crossover new novels. Okay. I know what you're thinking. This is a crossover of the justice keepers and Dessa Kincaid novels. And it takes place after both series. Goodness, that's a lot of books to read. So you know how Marvel structured its universe so that you don't have to watch Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America to watch an Avengers film? They specifically made the big team-ups accessible to the casual viewer? It's like that. All of the relevant characters are introduced and developed in this novel. Anything you need to know about fancy tech or superpowers will be explained as if you have never read one of my books before. And on the off chance you need a little extra clarification, I have provided some helpful appendices in the back of the book, which is also nice for those of you who feel like you just don't have enough Tolkien wannabes in your life. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds like a really good a good thing to do is just to put that in and then people can, you know, find find you know, they can understand what you're about and what you need to what you need to do or what you don't need to do in order to just, you know, dive in and dive in and enjoy it. Sounds Yeah, perfect. and it's Absolutely it's perfect. It's so I, I'm like I realize I'm doing something that not a lot of people have done. And like I try to have a bit of a sense of humor about my like I'm on the kind of person who doesn't like to take himself too seriously, you know. So uh like that's why I do a little, you know playful ribbing of myself in in the author notes and things like that but um like i look at it like so you know uh when when i was a kid i got into spider-man comics and i believe um i was 13 and one of the first ones i picked up was something like the amazing spider-man um 524 or something i know it was in the 500s and I was like, well, okay, you know, and this is a 13 year old, right? And I'm like, well, there's, there's, you know, there's no way you're going to go back and read 500 other comics just to read this current one. But that's not really like the, the comic book, um, like sort of model is such that you can sort of jump in at any point. Um, yeah, there's a big world with, all of these established characters and all of these, you know, like, like sooner or later, Spidey is going to come up against some villain that, that was, you know, introduced a hundred issues ago, but that's, that's okay. It's all pretty much explained for you in the narrative and you can just kind of follow it like that. And I'm very much following that model for the new shared universe. Yeah. That's standalone. a good idea. Cause children pick up those comics at different times, you know, in, in and 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 I think that's yeah, I think that's a really clever thing to do. You know, so that you can just jump in and and enjoy it for what it is, and then you can always people always go back and read, mm -hmm. read. You know, you can go back and start from the beginning or. Go you back can find book before or you know or jump ahead. In fact, one thing they do with one thing they do with a lot of comic book stuff is um, they'll like once you get into it they'll be like, well, there was this big event in the, in the early nineties. And I'm just going to go collect all the things from that. You know, that's 20 years later or 30 years later now. Uh, but I'm going to go and reread that because that was such a huge industry defining moment. I'm just going to like, I'm thinking of like uh, the fatal attraction saga from X-Men or something, but um, with, you know, sort of the same thing, right? Like if you want to, if, if you read one of the standalones and you're like, I really like these characters, I'd like to read the, uh, the origin stories. You can go back and check out the books I've already published or you can sort of move forward and check out the new stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Do you think you'll ever write different genres? Do you think you'll ever um, break away from sort of the science fictiony, fantasy thing, or or do you think you know have you got a burgeoning romance novel in you, Rich? Um, or I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. No, no, no. So, have you it, always got a stack of stories in your head? I, I have. I, it's always. really. I'm just writing what's really pushing my brain out of mm -hmm. my head at any given time but at any given time if somebody said oh you can't do that anymore I said okay so I'll write this then it wouldn't bother me I, I could just start a new thing so annoyingly uh, so <laughs> the thing about my my stuff is that it it's very genre bendery like bendery it bends genre Mm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a genre bender. And what I mean by that is so, so back to Winnipeg, um, 
I was listening to a podcast about a bunch of like creepy ur- urban legends and that kind of inspired me. So back to, back to Winnipeg, in addition to being a sci-fi adventure is also sort of delves into horror tropes. Whereas the new Kaadri is about the, the Kaadri are a spy team. So it's, this one's a political thriller. And uh, the next one, Dessa Traval, uh, the Sin Thief, is going to be more of a like classic fantasy. And then um, we're going to have Agent Aaron, A Man Alone. And that one is going to be a slightly different kind of experiment with horror tropes. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff. And all of my characters, they're almost always having romances. So like that kind of that kind of like the like relationship drama is kind of baked into the stuff like Jack, mm. Jack and Anna are probably my oldest couple. And, you know, the first few books are how they meet, how they get together. We're at the point now where they're married and it's like, you know, like usually like the sitcom approach is, you know, like the, the quintessential examples I would always think of growing up was like, you know, Sam and Diane, Ross and Rachel. Right. Mm. And it's in those shows, it was always break them up, get them back together, break them up. And then that just becomes very, very like repetitive. And so more, whereas now I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, okay, they're a married couple. Let's have them face some of the kind of struggles that married couples face. I I like to do a real blend of like the fantastic and the ordinary. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it, it's more appealing that way, makes it more, Yeah. you know, more. it has to have some base in reality. Anyway, Richard, Rich, we're nearly out of time. So mm-hmm. tell me, where can people find your books online? Well, they're available on Amazon, on uh, Kobo, on, uh, I think we're with Nook now. Does that still exist? I don't know. Um, uh, iBooks. And uh, we do have them in a few bookstores, though. Um, those bookstores, I believe, are in Europe. So you will have to forgive me because I don't know what their names are. Their names. Um, yeah. But what you can do, we have a... Um, and an, an independent author store or uh, something like that. Uh, like I just get an, I get an email about it every week or so. And um, my public, like for each book, my publisher has sort of like a central location where you can purchase that book. So what I'll do is uh, I can send you the links in an email. And if you want to post them in the, in the cool. Podcast, yeah. I'll put them in, I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so, so you can find you. So rich, rich penny is some, um, R-R-S Penny, you'll find him. And mm. that's P-E-N-N-E-Y, folks. And if you stick that into Amazon, as I've done, you'll find all his stuff and it looks amazing. So go and find him. I have. And I know you will too. Thank you. Okay, Richard, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Lovely to yeah. meet you. Great. Ah, that was great. And it's always nice to talk to people about their process and how they actually bring their work into the world. Okay, next week, my guest is Joel Flanagan Graneman. And Joel is a writer of epic fantasy that's aimed at the new adult market. His books are a series called Servants of the Moon and Sun, and he has two in the series so far, Talia on the Shore of the Sea and Talia Heir to the Fairy Realm. And uh, he's very interested in reimagining old stories like fairy tales, so come along and have a listen to that. As I record this outro, I've been busy just fiddling about making sure there's no other sounds coming into this recording so I've turned off my radiator which was clicking it's really cold in this room Um, I'll sit in the cold for you for two minutes and uh, and then my watch was ticking so I've taken that off and moved it and um, and then I've got like one of those 
Chinese things, those cats, those arms wave. And that was clicking away. So I've moved him out of the room and uh, now it's started to pound with rain and there's nothing I can do about that. So if you can hear a sort of a, a strange sound in the background, that's what it is. Anyway, such is life when you're a, an indie author doing a, a sort of homemade podcast. Anyway, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Now, if you'd like to know more about Rich Penny, you can have a look at the show notes that might not always pitch up on whatever app you might be listening on. But if you go to my website, which is djbowmansmith.com, funnily enough, uh, you can find the show notes there and there are all the links to anything that we might have talked about and links to his work, of course, and his bits and pieces. So do find that and you can find the links to anybody that I've had on the show. So if you go to my website and go to the podcast page, you can find that easy enough. Uh, And so that's it from me. And uh, I hope to see you next time. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Words and Pictures podcast. Until next time. Bye bye. (music) 